The crisis today is great. Of course, we have a confluence of crises, the pandemic, the economic distress, and the long-term crisis of climate change. But the crisis today is not as acute as it was in 1933 at the nadir of the Depression when Franklin Delano Roosevelt took office. You're listening to WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. This is Real Fiction. I'm Lori Messing McGarry. You just heard legendary history professor and political oracle Dr. Alan Lichtman of American University in Washington, D.C. Today we're talking about presidential transitions, how new administrations navigate national and global challenges in the critical first 100 days. I'll be back in a moment with Dr. Alan Lichtman. My guest today is Dr. Alan Lichtman. He has been called the prophet, the Nostradamus of American elections. Lichtman's prediction system, the keys to the White House, has correctly predicted the outcomes of all U.S. presidential elections since 1984. Lichtman has been a professor of history at American University in Washington, D.C. since 1973. He has published 12 books, including The Case for a Safer America, released last year. An earlier book, The Case for Impeachment, was a bestseller. His broad, deep understanding of how presidential administrations function is almost unparalleled. The United States has a new president, and things are moving quickly in Washington. Here to help us make sense of President Biden's early challenges in these first days is Dr. Alan Lickman. Professor Lickman, welcome to Real Fiction. Thank you so much. I can't recall a time when I have felt more in need of a history lesson. So I'm delighted and honored that you could be here today because um, I'd like to ask you about the term, the, the first 100 days. It's become a kind of milestone setting term associated with an incoming administration. And we have already witnessed um, a Biden administration sprint with the signing of 13 executive orders hours after he was inaugurated. Uh, there are more seismic changes taking place in Washington. Where, where did the term first 100 days originate? Well, you got to go all the way back to 1815 in France. I know you think I was going to give you something from American history, but the 100 days first referred to the return of Napoleon to Paris the assembling of a new army, and then his defeat at Waterloo. Wasn't exactly 100 days, but it was approximately 100 days. Then the usage in the United States applied to Franklin Roosevelt's first 100 days, something he talked about early on in his administration in one of his famous fireside chats, his radio chats, 
that enabled him to directly communicate with the American people. And indeed, Franklin Roosevelt's first hundred days stand out as a unique accomplishment in all of American history, certainly to date. He pushed through Congress as many as 15 major bills. These bills established the Civilian Conservation Corps, the Agricultural Adjustment Administration, included the National Recovery Act, the Federal Emergency Relief Act, and a host of other landmark pieces of legislation. He also, through executive order, issued his famous bank holiday to keep the banks from collapsing and took the nation off the gold standard, as well as other important executive measures. So it came from FDR in an American context. And I'm glad that you walked us through that because, you know, these first days of an administration are also full of symbolism. And there were uh, photos released from President Biden's Oval Office revealing a uh, a bust of uh, President Franklin Roosevelt. It's on prominent display. President Biden will see it every day. And in the media, there have been comparisons between the Biden administration and what President Franklin Roosevelt was facing in his first term. But what I really want to ask is there's a tendency to declare a current crisis as the most perilous in history. So as a historian, how do you rank President Biden's challenges when you look at something like uh, what President Franklin Roosevelt was facing? Well, I think in many ways, the challenges are immense facing President Biden, but I'm not sure I would draw an exact parallel with the crisis that Franklin Roosevelt faced. Franklin Roosevelt was sworn in on March 4th, 1933. You didn't have the January 20th inauguration until the next election, until 1937. And he faced the complete collapse of the American economy. Unemployment was close to 25%. Businesses were bleeding red ink. Farmers were suffering uh, foreclosures and uh, the bottoming out of the prices for their commodities. America was destitute and in despair. Uh, The crisis today is great. Of course, we have a confluence of crises, the pandemic, the economic distress, and the long-term crisis of climate change. But the crisis today is not as acute as it was in 1933 at the nadir of the Depression when Franklin Delano Roosevelt took office. So it's your your understanding and your impression that um, we're dealing with acute versus chronic crises, and they should be viewed a bit differently when we're talking about how Biden might manage what he has in front of him. That's right. We have an acute crisis, obviously, of the pandemic and the collapsed economy, but we also have the chronic crisis of catastrophic climate change, which really has been a crisis for some time, but people have not been as much aware of it as they might have been because it was all swept under the rug during the Trump administration. President Trump not only halted progress in fighting catastrophic climate change, he reversed progress 
he sent us backwards. And in his denial and erasure of science, he tried to hide from the American public how serious the chronic crisis of catastrophic climate change really was. When an incoming president makes a uh, a dramatic move like signing the or rejoining the Paris Agreement and in fact placing a climate envoy uh, at a cabinet level position as Biden has in John Kerry, in your view, is this enough to improve the world impression of the United States as as these days unfold? Is this a is this a symbolic gesture or is it in fact more meaningful on a global scale? I think uh, things like rejoining the Paris Accords is both symbolic and meaningful. It is symbolic because it signifies a new determination on the part of this administration to deal seriously with catastrophic climate change. And it is important substantively because you're not going to solve the issue with initiatives solely geared to the United States. It is a worldwide problem that requires worldwide cooperation. But let me say, these are just minimal first steps. Uh, The world's leading climate scientists are warning us that we are coming close to the point of no return, where without very drastic action, we are not going to be able to reverse uh, some of the worst effects of climate change, but are going to have to move into a new phase of mitigation. So if we are really to do something meaningful, this administration is going to have to get up to high gear very quickly. But let me draw a contrast between the Biden situation and the FDR situation. Roosevelt came into office with overwhelming Democratic majorities in both the U.S. House and both the U.S. Senate. He did not have to negotiate with conservative Republicans to enact his agenda. Biden is facing a very, very different situation. You have a 50-50 Senate. You have a very narrow Democratic majority in the House. He is not going to have the same latitude that FDR had to pass major liberal priorities. I I want to touch on what you mentioned just a moment ago, which has to do with the um, triple, quadruple challenges that Biden is facing. Pandemic, economic crisis, divided populace. Given your areas of expertise, I'd like to ask you about the prospect of a second impeachment trial, or I should should say the prospect of a Senate impeachment trial. I mentioned in the introduction that you authored the case for impeachment, which was published in April 2017. And I know you have predicted many political outcomes, but surely no one predicted a second impeachment. So through the lens of historical precedent, how do you square the tension between unity and accountability as we move through these early days? Throughout history, there has always been a tension between unity and accountability, but never as acutely as in the Trump administration. And there are two prevailing arguments right now. One made primarily by Republicans. This is a time to heal, a time to unite. A second impeachment trial will only inflame divisions and make it much more difficult for the president to unite the country. The other line of thought 
uh, primarily put forth by Democrats, but by a lot of independent observers, is that President Trump, former President Trump, has never been held accountable for anything in his entire life. We cannot set a precedent of letting him get away with perhaps the most egregious act on the part of an American president, the incitement of a riot in the uh, icon of American democracy, the capital that left at least five dead and many injured, must have accountability. And of course, the argument is that you are never going to have unity until you deal with the misdeeds of the Trump administration. You have to go on record condemning what Donald Trump did. And of course, uh, Democrats have said, and I think uh, quite rightly, these same Republicans who are now at the end of the Trump administration, the beginning of a new era, calling for unity, for calm, for healing divisions, for four years enabled Donald Trump's politics of division. So they only become uniters when it suddenly has become politically convenient. My own view is we must close out the record of the Trump administration. We're never going to get unity. We're never going to reconcile Democrats to put kind of a coda on the Trump administration without accountability and without making a clear statement of what he did was so fundamentally wrong. This process has never been considered or undertaken when a president has left office. In observing the symbolic nature of the first 100 days, is it is it your view that a procedure like this could take place after some of the landmark legislative pieces have perhaps been passed? Or is it something that should be undertaken right away? My feeling is you don't let it linger. The more you let it linger, memories start to fade, things don't look so bad. You know, the horrific television images of the riot at the Capitol are not as present in your mind. And this trial need not take very long. This is not like the previous impeachment trial. Here, the basic facts are known. They're right there on your television. It is simply a matter of how you can strew the facts. The facts are not particularly obscure here. I think this trial could proceed in just a very few days. You know, we have a very different tone coming from the the White House. It's it's night and day. It's It couldn't be more dramatic. And I was listening to commentary during the inauguration. I didn't realize this, but it was said that President Biden has attended the most consecutive inaugurations than anyone else that was sitting on that platform. In your view, which personal characteristics have contributed to successful presidencies? Is Biden's experience enough or is there something else in the secret sauce? Biden's experience is decidedly not enough. You cannot judge an incoming administration. History teaches us by looking at the experience of the incoming president. You know, perhaps uh, the most experienced president before Biden was Richard Nixon. And while Richard Nixon did some very good things substantively, we know that he perpetrated to that point the worst scandal in the history of the United States, that he fundamentally attempted to subvert 
American democracy and violate the basic the basic rule of law, and to date is still the only president to resign. One of the least experienced presidents was, of course, Abraham Lincoln, served one term in Congress, and other than that was in the state legislature in Illinois. And today, of course, he is ranked as the greatest or certainly one of the two or three greatest presidents in the history of the country. So while predicting presidential success is perilous, I would say a couple of things, in my view, have been most important. Number one, and above all, you've got to have the right values and the right priorities. You know, Herbert Hoover was an incredibly competent administrator, manager, brilliant man, but he didn't have the right values, didn't have the right priorities to deal with the Great Depression of the 1930s, FDR who came in and did. The other thing I would suggest is practical wisdom, that you've got to have the wisdom to have a real vision a real understanding of the country, but at the same time, you have to have the ability to put that into effect. And, you know, one example of where that could fail is the administration of Jimmy Carter. Carter had the wisdom. He had the vision. He had the values. He didn't have the practical ability to put his wisdom and vision into effect on human rights, on energy, on reforming the uh, bureaucracy, the tax code. It just didn't work because he didn't have the practical skills. Uh, Someone who had great practical wisdom, aside from FDR, was Ronald Reagan. You know, Ronald Reagan, in his 100 days, transformed uh, the conversation about American politics, introduced a sweeping set of proposals to completely revamp the way we approach uh, the bureaucracy, taxes, economic policy, and ultimately had the ability to put this through, you know, we call it Reaganomics, even with a uh, House of Representatives at the time uh, was controlled by Democrats. Yeah, that is a fascinating reflection. You know, I wanted to ask you about President uh, Lyndon Johnson, um, because you have kind of outlined how the Senate has functioned in earlier administrations, and um, things change over the decades. And Lyndon Johnson was able to negotiate bills to the U.S. Senate, resulting in landmark legislation. We have Joe Biden, who has spent so much time as a U.S. senator and a a vice president, so a similar sort of trajectory. But things have changed in the U.S. Senate. We now have a budget committee. There are budget rules. It's more difficult to pass landmark legislation. As a general question, what strikes you as similar or irrelevant today when you you look at the Johnson administration? First of all, after his landslide in 1964, Lyndon Johnson, at least for a time, had very strong Democratic majorities in both chambers of of Congress and was able to put forth a lot of his great society programs with uh, 
out too much difficulty because of the democratic dominance. Uh, earlier on, he didn't have that kind of, of strength. So in 1964, when he pushed through the landmark Civil Rights Act of 1964, he gained a very significant uh, cooperation from the conservative minority leader, Everett Dirksen. It was only with that cooperation with Dirksen and Republicans that we were able to get the Civil Rights Act of 1964 because the main opposition in those days, things are very different today, were Democrats, Southern segregationist Democrats. The passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 is one of the greatest examples in American history of bipartisan cooperation. So the big question is, will Mitch McConnell be the Everett Dirksen of the Biden era and be willing to work with Biden across the aisles uh, to get needed uh, legislation to deal with the economy, infrastructure, the pandemic, and the other challenges facing the country? If anyone can do this, just as Lyndon Johnson did with his vast experience and personal relationships with senators and representatives across the aisle. It would be Joe Biden, but history is asking you, Mitch McConnell, are you going to be Everett Dirksen or are you going to be the Mitch McConnell who, when Barack Obama came in, said, I'm going to make Barack Obama a one-term president by blocking everything with the Obama name on it? I hadn't thought to compare uh, Mitch McConnell's possibilities with, with Dirksen. And now we see that Biden may face similar challenges, not from the conservative, but from the um, the progressive wing of his party. So this is going to be a, a tricky dance to navigate. What will you be looking for in the next 100 days? You've been doing this for a while. What What is fascinating you? Where, where do you have your, where's your radar set? Well, here's something that is a hallmark of modern governance, really from Obama now through Biden. Because as you say, it's a different era in the Congress and no president, neither Obama nor Trump, nor now Biden has the kind of overwhelming one party support in the Congress that say FDR had or Lyndon Johnson had for a time. Therefore, far more than we've seen before policymaking is being done by executive orders. I mean, what Biden has done with his executive orders, you know, rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement, stopping the border wall construction, re-engaging with the World Health Organization, uh, developing an entirely new uh, COVID-19 plan, and many others. The kinds of things you would have seen uh, presidents push through legislatively, but because the legislative landscape is so foreboding in this era, we are now seeing more and more governance by executive order. So what I'm looking for is, will Biden have to continue to govern by executive order, or will he be able to wave his magic wand that he uh, developed through long years of governance and somehow get at least minimal bipartisan agreement on his legislative agenda. He doesn't need to bring in everyone. You're never going to reconcile, uh, you know, the Josh Hawley's 
to anything Biden wants to do or the Ted Cruz's. But, you know, can he work with Mitt Romney, uh, Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, the more moderate Republicans? And the big question, can he work with Mitch McConnell, the way Lyndon Johnson worked with Everett Dirksen? Well, this is going to be a great unfolding as we all watch and witness the first 100 days of the Biden administration. And Dr. Lickman, I before I let you go, um, first of all, this has just been such an, an honor and a delight to have you on the program. You've taught history at American University since 1973. You've, you've seen it all. Can I just ask for a recommendation on an overlooked history book that you like to recommend that everyone should read? Well, I'm going to be very selfish here and start recommending my own book, which I think is my most important book and very much overlooked. It was published in 2008. It's called White Protestant Nation, The Rise of the American Conservative Movement. And everything you've seen over the last few years was foreshadowed in that book. Another favorite of mine that people might not know, but it's a great easy read, is James Lowen. Lies My Teacher Told Me, which is designed to explode a lot of the myths that are in textbooks and that are taught in the schools. What I don't recommend anyone read is this 1776 report issued in the (laughs) waning days of the Trump administration that tries to rewrite history driven not by scholarship, but by conservative politics. One of the smart things that Joe Biden did was to dissolve this so-called 1776 commission. As I understand, it was removed from the White House website yesterday. So with any luck, that's um, a, a trend in a good trend in the right direction. Well, Dr. Lickman, this has been um, delightful. I, um, I can't thank you enough for joining Real Fiction today. Um, I want to mention to our listeners that... Um, his books can be found anywhere. There are a lot of them. I recommend that you you look for them. He has a huge Twitter following. The tag is at Alan Lichtman, and I recommend that you uh, check that out as well. Dr. Lichtman, thank you so much for joining Real Fiction today. Thank you, Laurie. It was a great conversation. Let's do it again as the Biden administration proceeds. You've been listening to Real Fiction on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Lori Messing-McGarry. All episodes are archived on realfictionradio.com. Head over there for more details about Dr. Lichtman's books and articles. You can reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook. Let me know which details in presidential history you've been thinking about. Thanks for listening.